Woohoo! How's it going, guys? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I want to take a moment before we even get started and uh, and welcome some people. We got um, we got some people online um, all the way. We have uh, let me see here. Why is it not showing up? Helene and um, Dan Ahern all the way in Arizona. They're watching us. They're like out traveling the uh, the world. And uh, Doreen Townsend, Bill Smith and his family. Wow, I haven't seen you guys in a long time. Uh, Natalie and Lance Gibbs, um, the Allards, and Joel Sewell. Like, uh, just so excited to have you guys. Um, another, another quick thing is next weekend we'll be um, expanding to having 100 people in here. So, yeah, it won't feel as much like a shotgun blast of people. And... Um, and so we'll be, we'll be opening that up, which means that a ton more people will be in, in here in in-person worship. And so, amen. That's good. So if you're at home and you haven't made, you know, you know like, I don't know if I want to, you know, try to come back in, this is a great opportunity for you to, to sign up and to, uh, to be a part of it. So anyway, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm the senior pastor here at New Life, and we are going through a sermon series. This is the last, kind of the culmination of First Peter. That we've, I think this is week 10 of going through First uh, Peter together. And um, if you've got your Bibles or a version app, whatever that looks like, I'd love you to turn to First Peter chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of a heads up. Um, Peter's going to kind of sum up the chapter, sum, sum up his letter to these people that are um, not living in their home. They're dispersed and um, resident aliens, as he calls them. And he, over the past nine weeks of us studying it, has been writing and reminding us that um, there is a way of life that makes sense only if you're sure that there is a reward beyond this life. And, and so let's be honest, like as Peter's been, been talking, especially, I mean, it was hard the first like three, four weeks of this sermon series because Peter is talking about, like, this is how you're supposed to re- respond to human authorities, unjust human authorities. This is how you're supposed to respond to, to bosses and um, imperfect spouses and, um, and culture. Um, it seems pretty ridiculous unless you have an unshakable hope in something beyond this world that we live in um, because it's counterintuitive. It doesn't even make sense um, as you look around at the world around you. And so... He uses words all throughout the, this, you know, First Peter, he uses words like submission and humility and mercy and forgiveness. And all of those words sound like me losing. All of those words sound like me having less than what I started. So I don't necessarily in my flesh like any of that. And yet he calls us to something. He's like, hey, guys, just know that this is something that, that, that you're a part of something bigger than what is right in front of you. And, um, and I don't necessarily like it, but I think Peter would agree with me. I think Peter had to learn the hard way, just like many of us do, um, the truth that, that he's actually laying out to us. See, I think that Peter, you know, he was one of, the, one of the disciples, so he would sit around, and whenever it said that Jesus turned aside and would speak directly to his disciples, Peter was in this group. And we know that Peter was kind of hard-headed, uh, kind of like foot-and-mouth disease. He would, he would just like... He would just say things and then be like, oh, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to say. And so he heard Jesus say outlandish things all day long. Like Matthew chapter 16, Jesus turns to his disciples, and Peter was in this group. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Then verse 25, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me 
We'll find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? I think Peter was in this group like everybody else, just kind of like nodding their head like, oh yeah, that's pretty deep, Jesus. Good job. Wow. We should write that down. But I think inwardly they're thinking, I don't know if I want to follow you there. Like you just said things like deny myself. That doesn't sound fun. Um, losing my life, taking up a cross? What are you even talking, what are we even talking about right now? I thought that you were going to like overthrow the government and this is what it was going to be and I was going to be maybe like a governor or a satrap or whatever you want to call me. I don't care as long as I'm in charge. And Peter's kind of wondering like, why are you using this terminology, Jesus? I would go so far to say that Peter, the writer of this letter, didn't like it when he heard it and then he lived it and found the secret. And I think this is kind of what Peter is is communicating in the entirety of this letter to a group of people that are resident aliens um, feeling displaced. He's essentially saying like, hey guys, 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 listen, I've found a joy that I could never find through seeking my own comfort. He's like, look, if you apply what I'm talking about, I'm telling you, I have found wealth that you could never gain through hoarding. He's pulling them in. He's like, guys, I have found peace that I could, never get, I could never get through control. I found victory that I could never get through fighting. And if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to like, just give me a try, if you're willing to put this into practice, he's like, I double dog dare you. Try it. Because I found this secret. I, it didn't come to me easily. And I, it's not anything that I necessarily was, it was a natural thing. It doesn't even make sense. It sounds preposterous. And when I heard Jesus say it, it sounded absolutely like lunacy until I lived it. And then I found out what he was talking about. And so I want to just bring this to culmination in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're in one of our in-person experiences, I'd love for you to stand with me. If you're at home, look, I'd, I'd love it if you'd humor me and stand as well. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to read just as verses 1 through 11 today. You can read to the end of the chapter on your own time. He's kind of tidying things up and saying goodbye, but we're going to focus on 1 through 11. He starts out in 1 Peter 5 verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal uh, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing honest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording, not lording, lording it over others that trusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the exact same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will restore himself, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, um, man, sometimes it can be it can be rough. Sometimes it can be hard. Sometimes it offends my flesh. Uh, God, I pray that uh, we would take these words from Peter for a different time, a different people, and yet apply them to the situation that we're currently in right now. And uh, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place unchanged by your word that wants to make us, break us, shape us, and mold us into, uh, into more like Christ. So we, we submit to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You be seated. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, so Peter kind of is leaving us with this thing like remembrance of, okay, as you guys are resident aliens, I want you to remember that you are first and foremost citizens of heaven and that you are foreigners and strangers here on earth. There's this, there's this reality. We hear this echoed in Paul. We certainly hear this all throughout 1 Peter where they're talking about this reality that when you, when you become one with Christ, when you get saved, when you are born again, you are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you may live here and pay, pay taxes here and work here and vote here and all of those things. But the reality is, is this is not your final destination. Your final destination is heaven. And, and, and this is the thing that, that Peter is reminding us. And so he leaves us with like three things and well, probably more, but I've got three things because I'm a preacher. And, and number one is be humble. Be humble. Starting in verse five, this is what he says. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. There it is, toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humility is kind of a tricky, tricky deal. Um, the, the, the problem with humility is that the more we try to be humble, the more prideful we become. It's this weird thing, like how do I become more humble if in my attempt to be humble, it can disguise itself in false humility? Because <laughs> many times that's how, that's how pride disguises itself. It's like, yeah, pay attention to me and look how humble I am. I am so proud of my humility. Um, and it's easy to see in other people where you're just like, yeah, I kind of feel like this is a little bit of a self-serving humility for you. It's very difficult to find in ourselves and, and to realize like, huh, maybe what I'm trying to have others see isn't necessarily my true heart motive. And um, it, can be, it can be tough when you're proud of your own humility. The thing that I found is that when it comes to pride, and I certainly do not have this figured out, so put that out there as carte blanche, right? Like, um, I don't think that you attack pride head on. I don't think it's something that you're just like, I'm just going to stop being proud. I'm going to start being humble. I think that in, in many ways, like, you look at the symptoms of pride because the symptoms will lead you to the sickness. This is what we find in, you know, any sort of, you know, you go to the doctors, you go to the doctors because you have certain symptoms and you tell the doctor your symptoms, the doctor says, this is your sickness. We don't necessarily go and say, I think I have this sickness. Well, they'd say, why? I don't know. I just it looked good and I saw it on the news and so I probably have it. No, 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 no. You look at the symptoms and the symptoms will determine your, the sickness that you have. And so I, uh, I have a few of these questions. If you want to run them down, that's cool. Um, I, I have like these four questions. Some of, some of them I actually ask myself, like on a, a regular basis, let's just say that. Uh, the other ones I, I ask myself kind of internally. I don't necessarily verbalize them. The first one is this. These are symptoms, okay? Symptoms of pride in your life. I'm not saying they're easy. Do you receive criticism or counsel 
the same way you receive compliments. <laughs> In other words, are you quick to receive a compliment because it's got to be true and dismiss a criticism or counsel because it's got to be ridiculous? Um, do you crave compliments and dismiss criticism? I'll move on. Number two, um, do you admit when you're wrong and ask forgiveness? Because only a humble person will do that. So I'm just saying, if you want to work on this, these are some questions that would help you. Do you, are, you are you willing to say, I, I was wrong, and not only admit it to yourself, but to admit it to others that maybe you hurt and ask for forgiveness? The third one is, are you able to let things go and move on? Um, pride wants to hold on to grievances and a little black book that tells you about everything that this is what they've done and this is what they owe you. Um, humility says, I need to move forward for my own sake, not just for yours. And, and the last one is, are, are you willing to allow the Word of God to change your mind? Um, this is one that I found a long time ago. Actually, Pastor Tom and I talked about this when we were like in freshman in high school and we both got saved. Um, it was this reality that I said, look, um, I'm willing. I think that I'm always right, just so you know. I think I'm always right, but I'm willing to submit my rightness to God's word. And when God's word challenges my rightness, I'm willing to say I'm wrong and make my right God's word. Um, are, are you willing to say that you're not always right? And are you willing to take the word of God and say, hmm, change my mind? Change my mind. That's huge when it comes to pride, as far as God's concerned. Um, and Peter tells us, it's kind of an odd way that he puts it, but he says, clothe yourself with humility. In other words, like, it's almost this connotation of, of putting on an apron, that's the, that's the connotation that it gives. Clothe yourself in humility. Put on the apron of, of, of a servant. Clothe yourself with it, which means that you have the responsibility to put it on and to keep it on. <laughs> Why do I say keep it on? Because um, when the going gets tough and things get heated, the apron is the first thing you want to take off to fight. Right? Nobody fights with an apron. That's just weird, right? I mean, no, you're like, when things start flying and accusations flare, you're like, hold my apron, right? So Because you're, just, you're, you're ready to go at it. Nobody wants to fight with their apron on. And he says, clothe yourself. So in other words, put it on and keep it on. And you're, it's your responsibility to, to keep that thing on. Don't take it off just when the going gets tough. And I think one of the most sobering things that Peter talks about here is he says, that humility isn't just a good idea. It isn't just like, you know, God's like, you know, it'd be a really good idea. I think, uh, you know, if you put on the, the apron of servanthood and humility, that would look good on you. Um, he doesn't just reward the humble. If you read it for yourself, Peter says, God opposes the proud. That's a big statement. We kind of gloss it over like, yeah, gives grace to the humble, which is me, opposes the proud, which is them, right? But he's like, God opposes the proud. That word oppose, I looked it up because I was like, surely it doesn't mean that. It actually means to line oneself up in battle against. So God says, I line myself up in battle against the proud. Um, this means that not only are you battling the people around you because of your pride, you're actually, your pride is setting you up in a position of opposition to, the, to God. God. 
And that is sobering and a little scary, right? He says, I, I, I oppose the proud. And we can see it how, it, how it affects human relationships all day long. We see pride in our coworkers, in our spouses, in our families, with our friends. We see how that affects and gets in the way of relationships. But very, not very often do we see how it affects our relationship with God. And I think the last thing that you would want is to put yourself in opposition to the God of the universe because he kind of always wins. The sobering thing that, that uh, just kind of, he throws that out there, that pride puts you in the position of opposition with the creator of the universe. Wow. So when we talk about pride and humility, and maybe you should write those four things down, maybe you should write those four things down. Because it means a whole lot more than just, mm, yeah, I don't know, kind of like that, but I don't, so I'm not going to. God sees it as a, as a, as a very, very, very big deal. I'll move on. Verse 8, verse 6, excuse me. He, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, I, you, you read verse 6 for yourself, but I like this promise. I like the idea. I humble myself, and then God lifts me up. But I'm not comfortable with this ambiguity of the time frame. I don't know about you. But he says, um, when, when's he going to lift me up? The, the answer is in due time. So when exactly is due time? Because I want it to be like an immediate exchange. I humble myself before God, and then that's like cash, and then he repays me with lifting me up in, a, in some sort of blessing. Do you ever feel sometimes that like God's due time is overdue? I don't know about you, but like, I don't know, like I'm sitting there like, God, I am walking in humility towards this person, these yahoos that you put me with for a day. Okay, so I don't understand how, what the holdup is. I don't know when due time is, but it is due time for the payback. Because they're not doing it, and I've been doing it, and it's almost been, a, it's almost been two days. I would, I, would, I would highly appreciate it if I could get my payback that you promised in your word. There's going to be some sort of a payback, he says, in due time. I, well, that should be. Now, listen, and, and we live in this immediate gratification culture so that we get upset when Amazon Prime takes three days rather than two days that they promised. Amen. Right? I mean, I'm like, excuse me? When did Amazon Prime turn into three to five day shipping? I thought by now we're going to have drones and blimps delivering stuff. When did it, whatever happened to that? We're going to blame that on COVID too? Like, I'm, I'm sitting there wondering, why in the world am I taking three days? And we wonder why we're impatient with God for the delivery of the blessing that we definitely deserve because of the humility that we're walking in. The problem is this, that we live in an immediate gratification culture and yet we serve a God who is a God of seasons. And this, I don't know about you, but I, I read my Bible and there's so many agricultural, like, um, illustrations that, that God seems to use. And I often wonder, I don't, I don't garden like, like these people garden. Like, he's always talking about planting seed and harvests and all these things. And I'm like, I, I have a hobby garden. I just don't understand why we need to talk so much about it. It's because there's this secret that God is trying to communicate that he's like, hey, you all measure time by minutes, seconds, days, weeks, months, years, but I measure time in seasons. 
So you think that due time is due time because it's been too much time, and I'm telling you that due time will come in due time when you've walked through the season that I've pre-prepared for you to walk in. Because there is a season of tilling up the soil. There's a season of planting. There's a season of, of watering. There's a season of growing. And then there's a season of harvesting. And sometimes we think, like, no, it is definitely due time for the blessing that I've been waiting for. And he's like, no, 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 you just, you're in watering season, sweetie. Like, I know you think you should be harvesting something, but if you actually pulled those potatoes out of the ground, they would be about this big. And sometimes we just don't quite want to grasp what it is that, that God's trying to get at. And, and, and here's, here's the hard part, is that a, a blessing in the wrong season becomes a burden. Um, ask the prodigal son about that one. Hmm. A blessing in the wrong season becomes a burden. What did he do? The prodigal son comes to his father, essentially tells his father, I know you're not dead yet, but um, I'd like my blessing now. I know that you don't think it's due time because you're still alive and you haven't even retired, but I want my blessing in due time, and I tell you now is due time. And so he gets the blessing, and what happens? Well, his character couldn't handle the blessing, and so it became a burden. You see it? And, and when we try to harvest tomorrow's fruit without today's growth, then we end up with something that is out of due time. Because our God is a God of seasons. And when we try to short circuit or skip a step, we cannot do it without hurting our soul. And so when, when you're in this place where you're just like, I don't know, I just feel like God's watering things and, and I feel like I'm, like I'm drowning in it. And, I feel, and I, or I'm in this place where I feel like I'm growing, but it, it hurts. I have growing pains. Just know that every season that God has you in right now is for the end goal of harvest, even though you're here thinking that it's due time for this. God's saying, it's not done yet. It's, it's not done yet. You can't skip the steps without hurting your soul. And so what happens we, we try to take things into our own hands. We try to act out of pride rather than humility. And, and, and we're not just short-circuiting the way that God blesses us. We can actually find ourselves, and this is, the, this is the sobering part, we can actually find ourselves at odds with God. But I think I should get it now. It's, it's, not, it's not time. It is not due time. He continues in verse 7. Um, it's a big statement again. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let me read it again. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And this is a big deal today because, well, let's face it, there's a lot of anxiety in our world and even some clinical anxiety that, that people are suffering with. And so what is it that he's saying? Should I just, just throw everything away? He says, no. He says, the things that are concerning you concern me because you are my concern. So, so cast your anxiety on me. And instead, we try to manage our anxieties. And um, when, I, when, I, when I manage my anxieties, I feel a lot like... Um, like I feel when I clean out my garage. 
Anybody clean out their garage recently? It's like an exercise in futility. You ever you done this? Uh, maybe if you don't have a garage, you're like, it must be nice to have a garage. You, you've got a basement maybe, and so you, you, you clean out your basement. Um, it's an exercise in futility. Why? Because I don't know where to put all the stuff. I have junk in there. And so what do we do? Well, we try to manage the junk. If you've done this recently, you know exactly what I'm talking about. My neighbor across the street did this just about a month ago. You take all of your junk out of the garage. And then you put all your junk back into the garage. Except this time, you organize the junk creatively. You, you stack junk differently. You, you put junk in bins. You get label maker. If you're a real type A, you're like, I know exactly what kind of junk is in this junk bin, right? And you put junk, and you, put, you, you stack the junk, you put it in differently and all these things, and you're thinking, well, Pastor Justin, do you really need everything that's in your garage? Do you really? Do you really need all that? Yes, I need all of that. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be my garage if I didn't need it. I mean, like, well, have you tried Marie Kondo tidying method? Have you tried that? I'm like, no, I haven't tried Marie Kondo tidying method. I, once I did. I, I went, I, I picked up something, part of my junk, and I hugged it, and I said, does this spark joy in me? And then I realized it's a rake. No, Marie, it does not spark joy in me, but I have to put it someplace because I need it. I need to do things that I don't want to do, like rake my own lawn, right? So no, it doesn't spark joy in me. So this reality is when we're trying to like manage our own anxieties, we feel a whole lot like trying to clean out a garage. Why? Because we need a place to put it. And so we try to, we, we try to make ourselves feel a little bit better by, uh, by organizing our anxiety. So what do we do? We try to like put it in different places and we put it in bins, put it in bags, we zip it up, we hang it up, we stick it on the wall, we do all these things to manage our anxieties and so we have things like this where I put toilet paper in here because this is the cause of a lot of anxiety recently. Um, and, and so we, 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 we organize it. I mean, look at that. I mean, I'm, that's pretty stinking organized. We, we organize our, our, our anxieties and our cares. We put them in, uh, away in places to make us feel a little bit better. And then we, we read things like, like what Peter just said. Let me read it for you again. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Um, the problem with this is that when we read, Katie, can you help me out up here? Just stand right over here. Um, when we read words like this, we read words like cast. Just stay right there. Um, not hard. Um, we read words like cast, and we, we kind of put it in the connotation. If you're like a fisherman, you think of casting, right? Casting a net, casting a fishing rod. And this is kind of how we manage our anxiety when it comes to God. I mean, if we can't do this, then okay, fine. Peter, we're going to cast our anxieties on you. So we do this. You're God. All right? So we cast it. And then we're like, oh, oh, I'm going to need that back. Thank you. Oh, perfect. So then we do it. We, we think of this. We're going to cast my anxiety. I'm going to throw the net out. I'm going to catch it. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, God. And we're going to, you know, cast it out. Oh, oh, I caught one. Thank you. I'm going to reel that back in. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to reel that back in. And so we have this idea that that's kind of how we manage our anxiety when it comes to God. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to catch it, God. And then I'm going to need that back. Oh, that's okay. And so I, I got to put this back in here. No, stick. And so I'm going to put it back in here so that, um, so that it has its place because everything needs its place. My junk needs its place. But the, the problem is this, that when you look up this word cast in the Greek, um, the only way I can really uh, put a word to it that we would understand, it was a word that we used in the 80s all the time. It was this word, huck. Do you remember that? 
Like, when you really chucked something, you hucked it. Do you remember that? Is there another word that you guys used back then? If you meant, this is what I mean. When it says cast your anxieties on the Lord, it literally means like, huck them. Huck those anxieties on God. Just chuck them. What it means is, it's not this little like, here, I'm going to cast it out, and then I'm going to reel that back in. I'm going to need that back, thank you. So I want you to go long. I want you to go all the way back there. Like way, way back there by that table, because I, I practiced. I'm going to hail Mary this guy. Um, and so, um, literally, what, this, what he's actually saying is not this like, like patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. I'm going to go back and forth and as fast as we can. He's like, I want you to huck that. I want you to just huck it. Come on. Oh, I almost hit you, ma'am. I'm sorry. It did that. There we go. There we go. Oh, so close. Thank you, Rob. One more. One more. One back here to Zach. No? All right. Thank you, sweetie. You can sit down. Okay. So, so essentially what he's saying is, like, I want you to cast off. I want you to cast those concerns, chuck them, huck them onto God. Why? Because you are God's concern. He's not saying that, like, Every single one of these is like, oh my gosh, God's all so concerned about these anxieties. He's saying, I'm concerned about you. And if you're concerned about this, then I'm concerned about this. So cast your concern, your anxieties, onto me. And there's this transaction that happens. We see it, you know, Jesus says, you know, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. So you, 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 you give him the, the concern and the anxiety and he returns you with, with rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is what, what he's talking about when he's saying, I, I, I'm not asking you to try to manage your anxiety. I actually want you to know that you don't have to carry it on your own, like that, that, that I actually am concerned for you. You are my concern. Psalm, uh, Psalm 55, 22 says in the Passion Translation, um, he says, so here's what I've learned through it all. Leave your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord and measureless grace will strengthen you. And measureless grace will strengthen you. I just want to pray for those of you in here, maybe you're listening online right now, if you've got something that you're just struggling with, that you've got a, a care, an anxiety, a fear that you're, that you're struggling with, Maybe you just, just locate that. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now, I'll come alongside in faith to those that have a diagnosis, a fear, an anxiety, a care right now that is bigger than them. Lord, we just realize that it is bigger than them. And God, we just cast that care. We chuck it, we huck it onto you. Not so that it just goes away, that we don't have to deal with it, but that, Lord, we know that you want to carry that. You say that come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give them, them rest. And so, Jesus, we, we trade our anxiety for peace today. And God, I, pr I pray that, proclaim that prophetically over each and every single person that has something that is too big for them to hold. God, I pray that they wouldn't try to manage it on their own, but we cast it onto you, Jesus. Make it real in their life today. I pray that you would, there would be a transaction in this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The second thing is, is this, is be watchful. Verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
I find that, that most times when I think of Satan, I depict him in my mind as uh, he was in the book of Genesis, as a snake, a lying, deceptive, slithering, slimy thing. But Peter calls him something different here. Peter depicts Satan as a roaring lion prowling around looking to eat you, which is very different than a snake. And I've always thought this was a kind of a strange depiction. And it's not just because it's a roaring lion. It's the fact that he puts these two things together. And maybe you've noticed this before, but I've, I, I, I don't necessarily know if I've ever really understood why I thought it was such a strange depiction. It's because this, because prowling makes us think of like stealth stalking of prey, right? If you've watched Animal Planet, you've watched lions stealthily stalking their prey to dismantle an antelope, right? I mean, it, you see it, they're quiet, they're huge animals under control. The problem with this is that Peter says that um, he's a roaring lion. Like, what kind of prowling can happen when you're roaring? It's not very sneaky. So I looked it up for you so that you'd understand this. Um, a lion's roar can reach 114 decibels, which if you have no idea what that means, it's essentially a loud rock concert. That's how loud a lion's roar is. They also say that apparently a lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away. Not very sneaky. Not very sneaky at all. Like a roaring lion is not like trying to sneak up on you unsus unsuspectingly. He is trying to terrify you and to paralyze you. Essentially, a roaring lion that is at 114 decibels and you can hear for five miles around is saying one thing, I'm here. You're in my territory, and you need to get out of here. That's what he's communicating to all the other, all the other lions. He's communicating to everyone around. He's saying, this is my territory. You need to get out of here right now. Literally trying to scare the, the living Jesus out of us, right? This, this is where I'm at. And, and, and what we understand, what we know, is that fear takes on a power all its own in our lives. So he's not trying to sneak up to us unsuspectingly and be like, oh, I'm going to pounce on you. No, he is trying to paralyze you with fear to intimidate you because the, the enemy has, is trying to run you out of town. And, and what we find is that many Christians will stay out of their destiny because the enemy has tried to run them out of town. And so we try to walk in, in obedience to, to the word of God and what it is that that, we're, that he, we feel like he's calling us to, and then all of a sudden the roaring lion starts causing us to retreat back. Many times we think that it's all about getting us to believe lies. If he can just scare us enough to paralyze us, it's just as good. It's just as good. And it doesn't have to be that big. So I, I was on a hunting trip uh, last, this past weekend. That's why I was gone. I was with my son, and we were, we were going on a bird hunting trip and camping, and we were in a camper. The last night of our four-day camping trip, um, it's just him and I in the camper, and I fell asleep after about an hour, pitch black. We're up in the great north main woods, three hours from cell phone coverage, middle of nowhere. Um, and I wake up to something touching my hair like this. And I go like that, and I, and, I, and I hear this, and I'm in a sleeping bag. And I thought, oh, Lord, what was that? 
And I thought, it was a moth. It had to have been a moth, right? I got a lot of moths around, right? It's got to be a moth. So I grabbed my, um, my little flashlight, which I will tell you, it was a very little flashlight. It got smaller the more I needed it. I was like, oh my gosh, this thing is worthless, right? I turn on my flashlight and I start looking around. I'm like, nothing. No moth. It wasn't a moth. So I'm like, oh Lord. So I, I'm okay. So then I have it in my hand and I go back to, I try to go back to sleep, but I'm like, you know, not sleeping, just listening. And I hear this, oh no. So I hear it. And it's about a foot away from my head. This, so I go, ah, and I look and I literally come face to face with a rodent's head about a foot from my, from my face coming out of this, this hole that, that, that they have access to from the outside. Thank you. And, and the, I'm, I'm freaking out, and I see it retreat, and I'm like, oh, we got to burn this thing down. Like, this is not going to work. And so I'm like, bud, we got to go to the opposite side of the camper. And he's like, what? What's going on, dad? He's like, there's bugs over there or something. Come on, bud. And so we get over to the other side of the camper, and I literally spent the next two hours, every 10 minutes, just sitting there. And as soon as I hear something, I just go, <gasps> And then I could try to go back to sleep. <gasps> and I'd hear it, and I'd hear it again, hear it again, hear it again, until I finally came to the point where it's like, I, I can't sleep in here anymore. I am going to sleep in my truck. Sitting up, freezing cold. Let me tell you, it was a horrible night's sleep. Here's my point. My destiny was the camper. I, I was supposed to sleep in that camper. But I was run out of town by a mouse, or I don't know what it was. It certainly wasn't trying to devour me, but I, uh, I was run out of town by some sort of rodent that I was too scared to stay in the place that I knew I was supposed to be. And I find that if the devil can not, not just get you to believe a lie, but to just cause you to walk in fear, you, you'll stay out of your destiny and paralyze you from moving forward into the place where you know you should be. In verse 9, he says, how do you fight a lion? He says, resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So how do you fight a roaring lion? Survivalists will tell you, Bear Grylls would tell you, stand your ground, hold your ground, and never turn your back or run away from a roaring lion. Essentially, it's best for you to make yourself look bigger than you are, wave things around, and never turn and run because he's just like, oh, this is going to be fun, right? You, that, that, that's, that's, how you, that's how you do battle against a, a roaring lion, which is like, ah, how in the world, what does that even mean? But this is what Peter says. He says, resist him, oppose him. And the way you line up in battle with God is not with pride. Why? Because when you line up in battle with Pride, it actually, you're putting yourself in an opposition with God. The way you line up with God is to walk in the opposite spirit, which is humility. So, so do you, you, you need to be able to bow before God before you can stand before Satan. He says, walk in humility, the opposite spirit of what a prideful Satan wants to do. You want to break his back? You want to, you want to uh, fight a lion? Walk in a spirit of humility walk in a spirit of humility because in humility that lion can roar all day long and it has nothing to attach itself to it has nothing to attach itself to so you want to fight a lion walk put on the apron keep it on in a spirit of humility why don't you stand with me
he ends this, uh, this portion of scripture, and I love it, essentially by telling you, be hopeful. Let me read it for you. And, oh, before we get there, Galatians 6, 9, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. Some of you need to hear that today. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time or due time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Peter's about to remind you of the promise that, that, that he has for you, that he will do through suffering. And this is, the, this is the harvest that is coming in due time if you do not give up. He says this in verse 10. I love this. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while. How long is a little while? It's a little while. But it seems like it's been a little bit longer, like a medium while. It's still a little while. It always seems longer to us than it does to God. He says, this is what he wants to do. He will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. God wants to restore you. He wants to make you firm and strong and steadfast. That word restore is an interesting word. It's actually translated differently in uh, Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, that word, when he says he wants to restore you. It's transferred in both of those, in both of those times as mending a net. Mending a net. So I, wanna, I just want to prophetically proclaim over each and every one of you that you may be torn, overused, or uncared for, and you may feel like you have holes and gaps and missing pieces. But God wants to mend your net. God wants to strengthen you in areas that you thought were your weakness. God wants to use these instances that we think we want to run away from to mend your net and make you stronger than you would have ever been on your own. Isn't that beautiful? He says he wants to, to fix you better than you are. He wants to strengthen you and restore you. And many times it comes through difficulties and it comes through trials and it comes through temptations. It's like when you keep your eyes on me and realize that, <laughs> that I care for you, that your concerns are my concern because you are my concern, we realize the entirety of what Peter's trying to communicate to us is, hey guys, listen up. I know this isn't easy, but know that there is more to this life than what concerns you right now. That you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost, and it doesn't negate or diminish the concerns of this world. It just means we're to cast these cares on him because you are his concern. He's like, I don't want you to have to carry this on your own. In fact, you weren't meant to carry this on your own. And that's why it feels like an overburden, like you're tired and weary. I want to give you peace. And you only get peace, not through control, but through casting your cares on him. And so Jesus, I just pray over each and every person in here and the sound of my voice. God, I pray that we would truly grasp what it is that Peter is trying to tell us about the secret of finding joy, not by seeking your own comfort, peace, not by control, victory, not by fighting, but as we choose to walk in obedience, realizing that there is more to this life than what meets the eye, and that we have hope of a future that's greater than what we can see. 
So Jesus, we lift your name up in this place. And as we worship you today, as we lift you in your name up, I pray that we would be casting our cares onto you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to take those cares, realize that they're too much for us, and allow you to, to for that great transaction that is completely unfair for you to give us peace, even in the midst of trials. Lord, we thank you. I want to be able to say what Peter said in verse 11. He says, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, to you be the power, and we give it up to you. We release it. Let's lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.